In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's my wedding week. I told you we'd have another podcast before Saturday, and here we are. Jack, what's going on, buddy? I'm good. So uh, it's exciting times. Uh, we'll find out in t- to give a time for the podcast in what's it, six hours whether Tack McKinley is a Cleveland Brown. I wonder if he's bringing his picture of his grandmother with him. I, I, th- I think it'd be a good ad. So uh, fingers crossed, Barry worked the magic, um, sticking a claim. He's going to get claimed before you get him. So um, it won't matter anyway, but hey, it's, uh, it's nice to show he's uh, interested. Well, the easiest thing for them, they can just literally call Austin Hooper, call uh, Adrian Claiborne and say, hey, what do we know about this guy? What's his work ethic? You know, anything we need to know. If, the, if it's somebody they really want, I feel like they could, they're relatively high up in terms of the, the waiver wire priorities. I mean, in terms of, it goes off what your current record off of. Yeah. yeah it's five and three. Yeah. I got about a 20% chance. So. Patriots will grab him if he's there, knowing them. I, there's people saying I saw the Cowboys. There's a few other ones on there, but who knows? Listen, he's available for a reason. That's what all the GMs are going to tell you. Um, he's had a drop off in production, you know, coming out of UCLA, he had a lot of potential, I just think there's something going on there in Atlanta. Him on Twitter, I didn't really like, you know, him calling out their trade offers. So there's a little baggage off the field. But, you know, in terms of the defensive end position, because, you know, here we're today talking about the defense um, in, you know, in our preps for the Houston Texans. But, uh, yeah, the defense, defensive end. Well, we got Miles Garrett. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> so uh, if you haven't listened to our podcast that we did the other day, go back and listen to that. So that's State of the Union offense. This is going to be State of the Union defense and uh, a little bit of special teams. Not that we care that much anyway. Um, but no, Sorry, so- Scottish Hammer. We care about you. We, we love him. Um, we love Hewlett. To be fair, they've actually been fine. So there's, there's not really anything to add. Um, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, um, it's the coverage teams. So it's pretty much a look at the next two and a half years of the franchise. What we're doing in each room, players, are they staying going? Are they got to elevate their play for the remaining part of the season to have a future here? It's just a really good chance during the bye week to sort of sit back, have a chat and see where we're at. So first is defensive end. Miles Garrett's got a new deal. So that's banker. That's in. He's not going anywhere. Next two and a half years, he's here. Yeah, I was going to say, if we were to take a snapshot right now and then in three years look at this room again, is there, I think we asked this question in the wide receiver room, Paul asked it is, is anybody on this team not named Miles Garrett on the 2022 Cleveland Browns? I think Port Augustine could be. He's the only Ooh, other one. The sleeper, five-star Port Augustine. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance that um, he's around. No one else is. Uh, Vernon out of contract at the end of the season. They were already trying to move on from him. They just couldn't get another uh, one-year rental in there. So they try Clowney. They uh, apparently called about in Gotway. Um, but they couldn't get anything done. So uh, they, they just told Vernon to take a pay cut and kept him. Um, it was always going to be gone after this year. And uh, yeah, he, he's done. Claiborne, he's just meh. Um, he's okay. He's not great. Do you think he's one of those guys? And I, listen, I'm not. Ta- we're talking about 2022. But in talking about the back half of the season, I think Claiborne might be one of them guys. He was relatively productive the first few weeks, and then he had that hip injury. I almost wonder if the second half of the season we see a little bit more out of him because even in the off season, I mean, he still had a little bit of fire in the tank. We haven't quite seen it the last you know five weeks or so. Obviously, given the fact that nobody in this team can create a pressure not named Miles Garrett, but it's one of those things where I'm going to be curious. Now, again, long term, Claiborne's not going to be here. He's you know older. He's going to age himself out of the league. Um, but I'm curious to see in the second half of the season if we just see a little bit more for him because Vernon had a pretty solid game against the Raiders. If we can get Claiborne, Garrett, and uh, Vernon going at the same time, 
that'll be good. One of the reasons we can't get off the field on third down is we can't create pressure outside of Miles Garrett. So if we can get some more pressure from these guys, because we know pass rush is integral. In today's NFL, you have to get after the quarterback. And, you know, we talk about the State of the Union, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Jordan Elliott, maybe. I want to see – he would be the one that – from a D-tackle room. Um, but outside of that, Claiborne, Vernon, Joe Jackson aren't guys that are going to be here in two, three years. So we need to start developing some younger pass rushers. You know, we've got a pipeline for some other positions. But, you know, first round, I, you will tell – you know, we've said it before. Quarterbacks, cornerbacks, defensive ends – Give me all the first rounders you can at those positions. Yeah, it's, it's looking pretty much a lock that um, the first or second round will be a defensive end, as long as there's someone there, which obviously is the other part of the equation. I can't see them going into free agency and dressing it because it's such an expensive position. Um, could they trade and give up something for a Darnell Hunter if he's completely cleared in the offseason? I wouldn't, but it's the sort of crazy stuff that you never know could happen. Um, He'd obviously need all the medical checks there, but I, I'm pretty sure that they're looking to the draft to fill in that role opposite Miles. And it makes sense because Miles has got sort of five expensive years now. Um, after his rookie deal, you, you put on five cheap years if you take a first round pick. And that, and that gives you that nice balance of keeping Garrett's um, salary manageable. Because the issue is if you spend a, another big time signing on the other side, then you have to go really awful at, defensive tackle for the next five years and the last thing you want is two great edges and then nothing in the middle and get run on all day because they just leaves that gap so it, it it's balancing it out and uh yeah the draft seems the obvious place to do that port augustine just a nice solid piece um has he been great not in particular but he actually did all right he did all right in the in the, in the vegas game but if browns fans want a window on how to do this pass rush thing Look no further than the Pittsburgh Steelers. You signed Cam Hayward to a big deal. Stephon Tewitt's got his money. TJ Watt's on a rookie deal. Now, he's going to get extended and he's going to get paid, and that's why Bud Dupree's going to go packing because they can't pay those two pass rushers. But what I guarantee you the Steelers do, the minute they pay TJ Watt, they're going to draft somebody that is going to be the next TJ Watt. And that's the, that's the blueprint. You have your big man in the middle. That's Cam Hayward. You have your big man on the outside. That's soon to be TJ Watt. and that's how you do it. So if you're looking for a blueprint on how this is done, there you go. The Ravens did it forever. We have Terrell Suggs on one side. We drafted and developed Pernell McPhee. We drafted and developed, um, what's the guy, uh, Matthew Judon. You know, they're finding all these guys in later rounds that they're developing opposite of Terrell Suggs because he was their big money guy. That's how it's done. Yeah, it's, it's all about pairing it. And if you go, look, we, we can have two big deals and two – above average deals in that front sort of lots of people talk about the front seven it's not front seven anymore it's the front five or six um because they're not going to spend any money on linebackers and suddenly you're going actually let's have three good um players on the d line well two two great and then two above average and the rest just have them on cheap deals um and you just cycle through and um berry's doing the right stuff he's just constantly flying through uh players and one will hit Port Augustine was obviously from the previous regime, but he just looks like a solid piece. That's the sort of players you want to fill in the gaps with of guys going, look, we're not expecting a phenomenal performance. We don't want you to be a game changer. We're not interested in your fourth defensive end being a game changer because that probably means they'll change one game and then they'll be absolutely run on for the other 15. We just want solid, consistent production. Um, and it's just trying to find that from guys. So no, um, They'll there. They'll have a, a sniff around. Um, they were trying to bring in Vinnie Curry um, in the off season, so they understand they want more and more and more talent. Um, and the more players you can get on like one one and a half mil that are coming in and going to be great and experienced, be my guest. Yeah, I mean we're talking about the Adrian Claiborne deal. The small veteran come in, make an impact. Um, I do like the fact that they are kicking the tires on whoever's around. I do like that. You know, if there's a deal to be made, let's talk. Um, if there's a free agent or a waiver claim like a Tack McKinley, hey, why not find out? There's, I have no doubt that Andrew Barry called up Adrian Claiborne and called up Austin Hooper and was like, what can you tell me about this guy? That had to have happened. Why? You, you don't have resources in your building that can give you the information on that and not use them. So, yeah, I think the – the pass rush is going to be big. I think this is a room, you know, moving down the road that we're going to see some changes in because you're going to have Miles Garrett, and then we got to find somebody that's going to be a complement to that. 
And if there's somebody out there in the draft that can do it, let's bring them in here on a cheap deal, manage the salary cap that way. You know, I think things are going to be a little different in the D tackle room. If I'm moving, you know, we'll seamlessly move over to the D tackle because there's really not too much more to say about the ends. This D tackle room, you know, Sheldon Richardson will not be on this team in two years. There's a question whether he'll finish out the contract, which would be next year. Uh, Larry Joby is the weather in Ohio during the uh, during these months. It's 71 day. It's 40 the next. It's 30 and snowing. It's raining. It's the most unpredictable thing in the world. And that's what Larry Joby coming out of Charlotte, you know, is I believe a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick. Um, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy that's ups, downs. How do you, how do you, we got to, it's a big gap that we have right now. And is Jordan Elliott going to be something? Sure. But again, a third round pick out of Missouri isn't going to be anchoring your you know, defensive tackle room for a while. So this is a room, Andrew Billings, I'd love to have seen him in Brown's uniform this year on a one-year deal. That's somebody next year. But even then, you're not talking about a young guy. He's been in the league for a few years. So where are we going to find some D tackles? We need fat guys. Yeah, it's going to be interesting what they do with Sheldon Richardson. So Sheldon Richardson next year is his third year. The, when the deal was signed, um, I spoke about it at the time, it was a two-year deal with us uh, cut in year three. And um, if they can find someone or they're happy with the room, then, yeah, he's gone. So he's already got $1.7 million, um, tied up in dead money because that's part of his uh, $5 million, uh, signing bonus that was signed when he joined. Um, and then they've basically just got a decision. Do they want to pay the final $12 million on his deal? Um, and for me, that answer is just a straight-up no. Um, is he worth an extra $12 million? No, he's not. And I think they can use that money smarter. Um, whether it's on a, a replacement there, maybe it's on someone else on the edge room and they then draft in the interior because that's where they feel the strength is in the draft. Um, so I, I think it's unlikely that Sheldon Richardson is going to be here next season. Um, maybe even if they can just find someone that they think can provide near his production but on $6 million a year, they can sign that person to a two-, three-year deal. Um, this free agency is going to be unique. Um, you're going to see deals done this year that you will never see close to it again because all of that middle-of-the-roster talent is going to be cut from teams that cannot afford to keep their rosters together. And then a team like the Browns, who's got cap space and flexibility, it's more flexibility than cap space next year because the Browns don't actually have that much space. But they've got these players like Sheldon Richardson where they can go, goodbye, let's go and get two players near Sheldon Richardson's production, six million a year each. And then suddenly that's putting their team in a much better position, more depth, more rotation. Um, so, yeah, you're looking at Elliott and Billings um, as two of the four. Um, Ogan Joby's gone. I, I just can't see him here. Um, unless he's taking a minimum, which he won't here, he'll go and sign with someone. Maybe a Dolphins, um, for instance, someone that just wants to give him a shot on a one-year deal, see what he can do. Um, and then, yeah, Richardson, maybe that's a, a third or fourth round draft pick um, into that room, and then they go and sign one in free agency. But yeah, I, th I think it's very much going to be a, a clean of the room, finding out more. Hopefully by the end of the season, we'll get flavor for Elliot, um, whether he can become that sort of a 60% player rather than the 40% player, uh, sort of a 33% player, because that's sort of your, your difference on the D tackles. The starters play 60%, backups play 33%. Um, on the edge, you're looking at sort of a 66% to a uh, 40%, which obviously you go, oh, why don't numbers add up? Because you'll have times where you push an edge inside to get uh, more pass rush um, on obvious pass downs. But um, no, I, I, I think Elliot is promising. We've seen some interesting things. Um, but he's still got a long way to go. We'll find out over the next uh, how many weeks? Uh, eight yeah, weeks? Yeah, and not to disrespect Larry Owen Joby, I apologize. He was a third round pick. I I thought he was a day three. He was a third round pick. And Andrew Billings is only twenty five. Yeah, he's been in the league for five years, so that's I, I had him a little bit older. Um, in regards to Sheldon Richardson, the only way I could see him, he's twenty nine, been in the league eight years. I don't see another $40 million payday in his future. So if he really likes what's going on in that room, you know, Jordan Elliott also went to Missouri. So there's an opportunity where maybe if we take Richardson's deal and stretch it out, because he is well-liked in the, in the team, I will say that. So if this is a guy that's smart and says, Hey, this team's on the uprise, I can milk a little bit more money out of this. I take that remaining 12. Maybe I push it out to like a two or three. Cause by 31, 32, 
his times his times about up right so he's the injuries start coming and that stuff so that's really the only way as if they renegotiate a deal with Richardson um, Billings being 25 at least gives me a little optimism he may be here in a couple of years I'd like to see him play first before saying that I know in Cincinnati he had you know some good years against the run um, but yeah I think the Browns really need to find something they need they need their Cam Hayward I'm not saying they're going to find Aaron Donald like you know there's only one of them in a generation even though at the Senior Bowl that year I stood in awe of watching Aaron Donald just absolutely they had to cancel the drills to just give people an idea what Aaron Donald at 280 pounds I was standing next to Matt Miller from Bleacher Report and they literally said all right you Donald out he was wrecking the drills that bad they had to pull him out of the drills Um, so if we can find one of those guys that's great but those are once every 10 years um, and you're not going to have the draft picks to get somebody that high anyway. So they're going to have to find some, you know, some good, useful, like you said, getting guys that are in there 50, 60% of the time. That ain't going to be Billings, not at his size. You know, he's the guy that's going to be in there for your obvious rundowns, you know, first, second down type of things. But it's, it's, it, it definitely, the defensive side of the ball is definitely longer in terms of the long-term vision, I should say, building what we want, because as of right now, it's just, you know, it's not very good. So, yeah, yeah. It, it was done the right way. It was like let's suss the offense because we need to answer the Baker question. Whereas the defense, you can, you can constantly improve, you can churn, um, you can bring people in. Um, yeah, I, th- I think your point on Richardson is quite good. You can take that twelve million and go look. We're going to take that away and we're going to offer you eight million uh, for the next three years. We're going to more or less fully guarantee it. Um, to give you the peace of mind that we're not going to just move you to 8 million and then walk away in a year's time. Um, so that might be something they do. Um, and then they whack in some incentives to take it up to maybe all the way up to 12, um, or they take it up to eight um, from eight to maybe 10 each of the three years. If he hits a ABC um, might be a nice way to do it and go, look, you, you give us back 4 million. We'll give you two more years on the back end of this. And uh, we'll, give you incentives so um I, I think that's certainly something they could do um it just depends what else is out there so uh, yeah you want to keep some continuity in that room and especially if Richardson likes Joe Woods and the scheme and knows that over that three years he may go from a 60 to a 50 to a 40 you know his snap count may come down just based on age and that, that's nothing against Sheldon Richardson I mean the guy's a former first round pick he's been productive and on the field you never question his effort. I mean, he's out there every play busting his ass. If they need him last year to move the outside, I mean, he was playing D end. So I have no problem with Sheldon Richardson on the team. It just has to make sense from a team standpoint, how to have him. So if he's willing to work with the Browns, like, you know, players do all the time. This isn't unheard of, you know, you want to stick around a little longer. You don't want a free agency right now. There's not a lot of money out there. So who in free agency is going to be, you know, put money down on a 30 year old D tackle. So that may be one of those ones where, the Browns look to do what they did with Chris Hubbard, add a couple more years, uh, restructure, save the team some money because we're going to need it for some of the other guys. So, you know, the defensive line, I think, has, has a long way to go. And I think we're still two or three pieces from being, you know, a solid D-line because, like I said, on third down, we get exploited. We can't get pass rush. So, Yeah, I think he, just because of the year and everything going on, he's, he's probably going looking at a six to eight million one-year deal. Um, that might it might be fully guaranteed, but it's uh, that's not what a player wants to do when they're thirty years old. Um, they'd rather go, hey, here's security, give us two more years, uh, give us three more years, um, two more years, whatever it is, and then uh, yeah, I, I think that's a fair ask. Uh, maybe it's just sort of basically two years guaranteed, and then the third one, hey, if he wants to walk away um, with a bit of dead cap there, then sod it. Um, yeah, I, I think that might be a nice compromise, and. Uh, Berry's obviously shown that he's willing to go that route. Um, yeah. Obviously, the ball's fully in the Browns' court. They could be really nasty about it and go, look, we're going to go out there, a bit like what they did with Vernon. Shop, and everyone knows Vernon is literally on a knife's edge. and They can't find anyone else, and then they turn around after free agency, after the money's gone, and go, hey, sign this new deal or we're walking away. And then you've got the player over barrel. The issue is you don't want to do that too often because then agents start knowing and they go, hey, I don't want my player to go to the Browns. So uh, you've got to be careful with it. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, it's something yeah, they, just to keep in mind. And Barry, you hope, I, I think he's a guy that's pretty well-respected. You know, you hope when you have that conversation, you say, hey, listen, we want you here. 
Okay. We understand, we understand it's, it's capitalism. We understand you want to go out and see how much money you get. You'll have this offer sitting here, kind of the anti Mitchell Schwartz and how that all worked. But you just say, Hey, this is the deal. It's here waiting for you. If you go out and find something better, we'll wish you nothing but the best. We'll take out an ad in the newspaper for you. But for right now, you know, whenever you're ready to come back and sign this, let's go. Now, the linebacker room. Running backs to the defense. Um, so, Ooh. other than Malcolm Smith, they're pretty much all trash. Yeah, I don't. I, I, yeah. Goodson's been okay. Um, that's sort he, of the only other. He, honestly, one. Goodson's giving you what you paid him. Right? You didn't pay him like a top-end linebacker. You gave him a couple million bucks, and he's playing like a couple million-dollar linebacker. He is, like in the famous words of Dennis Green, he is who we thought he is. Um, here, Listen, I know that, Mal, uh, that Mac Wilson has the fan club like Josh Cribbs did, the fan club like, you know, Damian Sheehy, Giuseppe had. I get it. But right now, he's bad. And... Listen, don't take my word for it. Go look at his PFF grades. They, they ain't good. They're a lot of red, and they ain't traffic lights. Um, he's one of the lowest-ranked linebackers in the entire league. Now, I get he has a knee brace on because he wanted to let the world know that he's not playing with a knee brace anymore. I, I don't know if that's going to make a difference. Um, this linebacker room. I, 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 I don't see... The one I want to watch, and please, please, please stay healthy, is Jacob Phillips. He got crushed when we drafted him because, of course, you over, you, we overdrafted in the third round the leading tackler in the SEC. So we know the guy can tackle. The question then becomes, can he tackle in the NFL? Um, Taki Taki, situational guy. Jacob Phillips, hopefully he can be something I really haven't seen enough from him. Mac Wilson, I'm leaning towards the – he's going to be out of here in the next couple of years. Um, and then the rest really not even worth talking about. So here's a question. I'm not even going to put a 20% like snap minimum on this. Every single linebacker that's played a snap in the NFL this year, there is 164 of them according to PFF. Where out of those 164 do you think Mac Wilson comes? I'm thinking he's in the 160, so I'm going with 163. He's 156. Oh, 156. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awful. Christian Kirksey is not much better than him. Christian Kirksey is only 149. Well, to be fair, and one of my buddies at work is a Packers fan, and he was all hyped up about Kirksey. And I said, listen, if Kirksey can stay healthy and stay on the field, he'll give you subpar linebacker play. But everybody will love him because he's a nice guy and plays the drums. And that's not, listen, that's not a shot at these guys. It kind of is, but it's not. These are really good dudes. They're great for the community. But when we're talking about their talents on the field you know the fans were always waiting for christian kirksey to get healthy he wasn't going to be healthy he's not healthy this year so it, it is what it is i mean you have to separate the fact that i sit and have a beer with the guy versus whether the guy can play linebacker in the nfl um you know you look at these teams that have good linebackers and you notice them when you watch the browns defense you don't notice them i watch 51 chasing the backside of a play or you know i i watch Sioni Taki Taki pass rush and just get absolutely demolished by an offensive tackle. That's what I see. So if we want to take, if you want to hit the KJ rights, if you want to get up to these, you know, elite linebackers, it ain't these guys. So Joe Woods, likely why we're going with the three safeties, which we'll get to. But at this point, yeah, these linebackers just, I have the most faith in Jacob Phillips and that's probably more faith of the unknown than anything. So if we flip it on his head, I'm going to add the 20% qualifier because that, that just clears off all the nonsense. There's 91 linebackers that qualify. Where do you reckon former Super Bowl MVP, even though it's a laughable thing, um, where do you think Malcolm Smith ranks? 75. 19. Mm, better than I thought. Malcolm Smith is... The, the over-under game, I failed miserably. Um, so no, he, he, he's looking, um, good. Um, obviously it's vastly benefited by, he had a phenomenal game week one. Um, but then the rest has just been great. Wasn't particularly great the last two weeks, but two weeks before that put on a show. Um, so he's certainly won the, another one year deal. Um, whatever that number is, you just pay it. Um, potentially you just pay Goodson as well. Um, his million, uh, you've got Jacob Phillips, 
tacky tacky or just him and uh mac wilson i don't know if they make it out of camp um I think you just continue to throw darts. Um, fourth, fifth, sixth round, just pick up a guy, throw him in there and see what happens. Um, maybe if there's a free agent that they really like, they can go out and spend that three to five million and uh, bring someone in just on a short-term deal and go, look, that's your one linebacker. Now we're going to buy you loads of DBs, which we'll get onto next. Um, you don't need to play linebackers because at the end of the day, Joe Woods has said he wants two maximum but quite often one linebacker on the field. So we don't need a deep room. Lots of these guys, they're going to be on the roster just for special teams. Um, so uh, I'm not too worried about our linebacker room as long as we add more DBs, which we're 100% going to do. And yes, I knew there's a lot of people out there going to say, well, there is a correlation between defensive tackle play and linebacker play. And right now we're getting okay defensive tackle play and below okay linebacker play. If you look at Mac, if you look at some of the other guys, it's not that I see offensive linemen getting to the second level and mauling them because they're blowing through our D tackles. These are just, they're going to the wrong gaps. They're not, their feet aren't in the right places. Their eyes aren't in the right places. A lot of times they're getting run over by running backs. So I get it. Jason Tarver is going to have some work cut out for him in that linebacker room. But right now, could we see a slight uptick in play if we had, you know, some stud D tackles? It's possible. But let's, let's, let's find some new – let's find maybe some more linebackers to drive the competition. You know, instead of having the Tay Davis and Elijah Lees, let's maybe get some people in here. You know, and I don't know if this – free agency is going to be a little dry this year. I don't know. Find me a couple of Jacob Phillips is in, in the later, in that third, fourth round – and let them get in here. Other teams don't have problems finding linebackers. Come on, let's figure it out. Let's find some linebackers. Uh, Let's just pull up the older incoming inside linebacker free agency list. See if there's any little saucy names in there. Um, We're not paying Lodvante David, so (laughs) forget about that. Um, To be fair, like the seventh highest incoming, uh, highest paid incoming into interior D lineman is BJ Goodson. So uh, oh, it, it's not a great class. Um, if we still had um, uh, John Dorsey here, then uh, we'd all be out buying Ruben Foster shirts already, um, but he's not. Um, yeah, He'd be there, down at the courthouse bailing them out too. There's, uh, there is not much going on. Um, it's fair to say. Well, do you want to stay down the middle and go with the safeties, or do you want to move outside to the cornerbacks? Where do you think our trajectory is going to take us next after we've solidified that there's not much in that linebacking room? I want to go wide. I love You're corners. going wide. Ooh, we're going wide. So, um, well, there's, yeah. there's some optimism out here in this, in this cornerback room. There's, we got some decent players out there. Yeah, so we've got Denzel. Denzel's getting paid. Probably get a new contract this offseason. Um, that would be the smart thing early. to do. Um, because you're going to pay the guy. We know what he is. Um, obviously, I wanted uh, Jair Alexander, who has uh, solidly overtaken Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward was ahead for the first two years, but Jair Alexander has raced ahead. Um, I believe he's best corner in the league at the moment, according to PFF. So, uh, he but he's on one of the worst defenses in the league, so that's always fun. He, Packers defense boy. is terrible. Uh, the Seahawks is even worse. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's true. Now, the one thing I do, I do like Jair Alexander, and much like Denzel Ward, they're just undersized, so they have trouble with those bigger receivers. Um, but yeah, I Alexander's a little more physical, right? A little bit more physical than Ward is. I think Ward has better ball skills. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, listen, if I'm arguing between those two and not between Justin Gilbert and Jair Alexander, it's a lot easier conversation to have, so... Yeah, I think, I think Ward is going to be the Miles Garrett of the room. You're talking about a guy that can play consistent. The biggest question mark with him is health. You know, get your head out of there. Learn, you know, make sure you get the tackles. Don't get run over by C.J. Uzama. Um, Kevin Johnson. Terrence Mitchell is probably someone we're talking about two, three years down the, down the way. Um, he's, he's hung around longer than most people have given him credit for. That's for sure. So when we take a look at, you know, the Johnsons, the Mitchells, Tavier Thomas, MJ Stewart, Robert Jackson. You think any of these guys are going to be sticking around? I, I so Terrence Mitchell's out of contract. Basically, everyone's out of contract other than Greedy and Ward after this season. Um, but I, 
I think they will look to give um, Mitchell, even if it's just a one-year deal, an extension, just because he, he, he is impressed. Um, there was lots of talk. The, the rumor mill was wild that they might look to trade him. They might look to cut him if they're really happy with their other corners. Um, but he's gone out and performed um, and performed at a good level. He's not, he's not great. He's not going to be a game changer. He's just good. And the thing is, you need about five corners that you like um, because you've got to have depth because the secondary, it's all about the weakest part. It's not like the D-line where Miles Garrett can play by himself and sod who the other three players are. Coverage is more important than any pass rush that you can get involved with, but it needs the whole picture. You can't get away with having two out of three because that third man will just get annihilated and abused. So the more depth is there. So I, I think Money Mitch will get a, another deal. Um, what that will be, maybe a couple of years um, just to tie something in. Greedy is obviously, who knows what's happening. Greedy is, is quite sad. Um, we want to get him healthy. We want to go out there and see what he's got because the issue is if he can't get out there this season, he needs to be replaced, even if he, he might turn out to be a good player. Um, so uh, they, they need more. We, we need a slot as well. We, we knew before the season Kevin Johnson's not a slot, and uh, he's uh, helped prove that. Um, maybe we can go get Desmond King. He hasn't King played in too bad. He hasn't played too bad there. Um, greedy. They said it's like a nerve thing. That the nice part is, is at least if it's a nerve thing. As somebody who's had kind of some different nerve things in my life, it's weird because you're just you try something and then you have to wait, you know, a couple of weeks to see how it responds. And I think that's why they've had a lot of different, you know, unknowns regarding greedy in terms of why didn't we IR him week one and stuff like that. I'm hopeful that that's something they get figured out. I think the biggest question mark becomes what is the effect of him sitting out a year, you know, in terms of he hasn't really been able to play football. So this is a young guy we need to develop. We need to help him the game slow down for him because at times the game looks like it's slowed down for him at times he is completely overwhelmed. So most importantly with greedy, you want to see him on the field. You want to see him growing and learning um, like Denzel did, you know, he didn't come out and have two interceptions Steelers in his first game, but still, um, that's just kind of what, where I'm at with greedy is this like, I hope they can get the nerve thing fixed. It shouldn't be a long-term issue. My biggest thing is, is how is that going to stun his development? Now, from a contract standpoint, that may not be the worst thing in the world because he may not be playing at peak level, which means he doesn't get paid at peak level. So maybe later on in his career, when he gets to that point, we got him on a pretty cheap deal, but I do like what I see out of greedy. The question is, you know, is it, is it sustainable? Yeah, it would certainly be the case where we just go, hey, he puts together a, a good but not great year next year, and we go, hey, look, there's three years, X amount of millions, sign it now, get it done, um, and then we'll reassess. And suddenly he's looking at the final two years of that deal as an absolute stinking cheek player, um, and then he's gone after that because we haven't got the money to pay everyone. Um, so that that could be something that works out. But yeah, we need more pieces. Um, slot corner has been ridiculously cheap. Um, there, there's loads of them in free agency last year that just couldn't get paid. Um, and we're talking like some of the best slot corners in the NFL were um, free agents and got pittance as a deal. So uh, we, we can definitely go out and address it. And that's something that I, I think they'll certainly do. Um, it's just adding some more talent. And they'll do it high in the draft. Um, there's going to be a, a corner that will go in the first three rounds and he's going to be a Brown. Yeah. I, I, again, we go back to our cornerbacks, quarterbacks, defensive ends, and probably a wide receiver late enough. These are your first round. These are your first rounders. And to be fair, if you can take them in the first round, you can take them in the second round. Now I may add a good safety in the second round. Oh, defense okay, attack. Yeah, I'm talking about second round. The, you know, our first our first round pie kind of goes back to the core positions, the quarters, the corner, the quarterbacks, the cornerbacks, defensive ends, wide receivers, offensive tackles, which we won't need because we have, you know, bookends there for at least three more years. Now, in that second round, if you know all of a sudden you have a top safety or you have a you know a top defensive tackle, you know center guard you'd have to be really you'd have to be like Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State where you're like the best guard ever but um at this point the David DeCastros or something like that a guy who's like a blue chip plug and play we're obviously not going to need him for at least two years with Petonio and Teller to get extended but yeah that's the safety room 
is where I start looking at second rounders, but the cornerbacks, if you got a guy, take the best available player, whether it's a pass rusher or a corner, get him in there. You can never have enough. Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly one. Um, so yeah, we're, we're expecting more pieces and uh, it's just going to be interesting to see where this defense goes because we know Joe Woods doesn't want to play the defense he's currently having to play because he wants to be putting five to six DBs out there every snap. And quite frankly, we don't really have five starting DBs on the roster um, at the moment. So uh, that's something that will change. So uh, not too worried about where we're going. It's just uh, we've got to get through this year. And it was the right thing to do. There's no point of having a uh, average, slightly plus offense and defense. Fix one, fix the other, and uh, answer the Baker question. And it's certainly been done the right way. So fans freaking out and going, oh, our defense is going to stay bad. It's not you're going to see an incredible shift. Um, you're talking about probably five starters playing next year that haven't played a single snap this year. Um, that is a, uh, a crazy, crazy turnaround. It's what makes the NFL exciting. One year here, one year there, everything changes. I mean, week by week, it changes. I mean, to be honest, let's not forget, there was people last year that were calling Denzel Ward a bust. Let's not forget this. You know, we are very quick in terms of, especially cornerback play across the league. It's a passing league. I mean, Stephon Gilmore's getting beat this year by Buffalo Bills receivers. And, you know, it happens. The fact is, is you want a guy that wins more often than he loses. And you've got one. Now you got to build some more. And you know who really would help with that? More Anderson Deho. That's, he is the cure-all to everything wrong with our cornerback room. Am I right? Am I right, Jack? It's number 23. Legend, probably the most iconic number 23 in Cleveland sports history. My guy, your guy, Paul's guy, Andrew Sandejo. He's got to be here in three years, right? I mean, he's the, the staple of our safety room. He could be a bull boy. Listen. Truth fair, actually, the one thing he could do, he could be a coach here in three years' time because the one thing everyone says is he knows the play call and he knows where everyone else is meant to be. Um, see that's what it is he's, he's so smart that he's always in the right place when all the other people are in the wrong place so it just makes him look bad that has to be it because if you look at his run defense grade he's perfect I mean he's one of the better safeties in the league at run grades at run stuffing so that's something that's fully controlled about him pass coverage we'll just blame everybody else but no the Browns are going slowly but surely into this, you know, multiple safety look where we could be dropping. And honestly, if you even brought Sandejo into the box, it's kind of that missing, that star, that nickel linebacker. Um, that's not a bad place for him. Where he kind of struggles is going backwards. Um, so he's older. You're not going to see him in Cleveland, obviously, in a couple of years. I don't know if Brown's Twitter can handle a couple more years of him, even though, trust me, there's far worse players on the defense, number 51, than number 23 is. Uh, this is a guy that's been in the league for 10 years. So from a long-term projection – no, you're not going to see him there. However, his running mate on the other side, number 33, Ronnie Harrison, you know, he's three years in the league out of Alabama. He's a guy you want to see more of, you want to build off of. So, all right, we'll, we'll put a check mark in the box of we have a safety. I don't know if we have a number one safety or number two safety, but we have a safety that we're confident in a couple of years is still going to be wearing the orange and brown. Now, Carl I, I, Joseph. On, just on Ronnie Harrison. Ronnie Harrison has been great since we added him. Um, he's not perfect by any means, but really, really impressed with him. Um, could easily work his way into a deal this offseason because they'll go, hey, you've been good. Let's, let's get it tied down and done because the last thing you want to do is he has another great year and then suddenly he's going, hey, I want to be paid like a top 16 safety and we're suddenly going, oi, hold on there. Um, so uh, don't be surprised if he gets an extension. Um, they've been happy with him. He's been doing great. And he's got that flexibility because that's something else that's really important, especially if he's uh, that second, probably even third safety. Um, and he's probably going to be three safety base that he can do lots of different things because what you want is that ability to go from one scheme to another scheme to something else without having to substitute. And he, he gives you that. So uh, I, I've been impressed with him. Um, obviously, touching on Sandejo and Carl Joseph, who aren't going to be here next year. Um, they have been playing a lot out of position because neither was meant to play a snap at free safety this year. Um, and, and that's something we've just had to bodge it. Um, but I just, the next name to touch on is obviously Delpit. Cannot wait yeah. to see him. Um, who knows what we're going to get, though? Delpit has that big question mark around him. I to be honest, coming through the draft process, 
I liked Grant Delpit. I didn't love Grant Delpit. Um, this is a guy that has a lot of technical flaws. If I could take Andrew Sandejo's run defense and tackling and give it to Grant Delpit, then we might have a decent player because Delpit obviously is a lot better in coverage than he is in the run game. He's just a little bit a little bit weak at the point of attack. And if you need proof of that, just go watch any LSU game last year. Now, two or three years ago, whenever he had the Jim Thorpe here, okay, he played really well. But his last year at LSU wasn't all that great. Um, hence why he fell to the what, pick 40, 42 or 43. So let's not make it seem like Ed Reed is coming out of number seven, Grant Delpit. So Carl Joseph, he's one that's kind of disappointed me a little bit this year. I thought I was going to get a little bit more out of him. Um, he played pretty well in his last year with the Raiders, you know, before having a little bit of an injury. Of course, he comes to Cleveland, picks up a fumble, fumbles again. Um, right now, that's the most memorable play I have for him. I'm hoping I see enough in these last eight games where I want to keep him. I want to see more. I'm not there with Sheldrick Redwine. I know everybody for some reason thinks he is, and yes, he's fast, but I don't think he has a clue what he's doing out there. Special teams, maybe, but in terms of a starter, that guy is another year or two away from even contending for a starting role. He has no idea where he's going. I mean, we played him a little bit at the end of last year. Check the tape. It ain't good. I think on the one game this year, I think he was the highest graded Brown. I think he played nine snaps. Like, come on now. Um, he's just a guy that struggles right now. The game is just not slowed down for him. He's met more often than not just in completely the wrong position. So yes, for Harrison. Yes, for Delpit. The jury to me, I'll give Joseph another eight games. And if I don't see much, he can enjoy the off season. Um, obviously I don't think Sandejo's here next year, but Javante Moffitt, Elijah Benton, a couple of these younger guys, you, you hope maybe one of them can be relatively okay um i think the browns biggest swing and miss in the safety was obviously letting jordan poyer go you know one of the top safeties in the league was here so not only did we let jordan poyer go we let his wife rachel bush go which was equally as disappointing um but yeah that the safety room is i think it's it's, it's as big of a question mark as the linebackers the only thing is is at least you have a guy you're comfortable with in Harrison and a guy you want to really see. And that's Grant Delpit. Yeah. I think just on Redwine, I, I think he's pretty much set as a uh, bubble guy for the roster next year. Um, in training camp, he'll go in fighting for a spot um, whether they even keep him. Um, it's at that point now. So uh, he, he's, he's got a lot to prove in the next eight games. Um, can he learn enough that they feel comfortable putting him out there? Um, because if you think Sindejo's bad, Fred Wine's got to be even worse, else he'd be out there playing over him. Um, so, obviously, remember, whatever you think, it can always get worse. Uh, Cole Joseph, the interesting one, just looking at his PFF grade through his career. So, we'll start all the way back in 2016. So, first four years with the Raiders, we've got 68, 68, 75, 70, and then he's dropped to a 50 this year. And so, it's interesting to note that He's played snaps at free safety, which isn't where you want him. You want him in the box charging around like a rocket um, and doing stuff there. So it, that might be one where they go, look, we've misused you. We know that. Give us another year. We'll give you another one-year deal. Come back and give it a go. Or he might just go, look, I, I, I need to go play in a different scheme. Um, but I, I think that's purely one that we'd have seen a lot more out of him if we had Delpit playing free safety and then you push him further down the field. Um, potentially, you've got like a... Uh, if you had everyone this year, you, you would leave um, Delpit deep, Harrison in the in-between, and then Cole Joseph probably the furthest forward, just almost like a, a hybrid linebacker, just uh, blowing shit up. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of that same role we're talking about for Sandejo, where you have kind of that star. Um, Saban uses him a lot. Actually, I think Ronnie Harrison played that position at Alabama quite a bit too, so... I think that's a position that we're going to see more of. I think Joe Woods likes that concept of having a guy who's solid against the run and has the flexibility of a safety and linebacker in coverage. So could, could Carl Joseph show something these last eight weeks? Sure. I mean, he's a first-round pick. And, you know, at this point, other than the, the, the big hit that he put on the guy, the golden Gandy golden guy against Washington, which people forget was a 22-yard gain, um, he just hasn't shown much. And that's why he's on a one-year deal. So if he wants to get paid, we always talk about guys showing up in their contract year. I'd like to see what you got, Carl, because at this point, you'll be somewhere else in a couple of years.
Yeah, the, the interesting to uh, note about the safety room, it's pretty much unique when it comes to NFL free agency. It is the only position room every year. There's usually at least three plus top 16 free agents um, or at least top 32 uh, free agents available. So you can get a top half of the league starting safety in free agency every single year. So it's certainly one they're going to go after. There will be at least one big name, whether it's safety or whether it's corner, they are going to add, I think, star DB, um, whoever that might be. I think is Justin Simmons the. Um, he's a kid out of Denver that got franchise. Denver still, he's your next big one. Yeah, he's still um, not signed to play on the franchise tag, yeah. I believe. Um, so I think that's more likely where they'll go because I believe he's younger than um, your other. Um, yeah, he's coming into his first big deal. I think to your point, though, and it's well said is about um, safeties. So as defensive coordinators change, so do the role of safeties. So it's really hard in terms of how a D coordinator wants to play it. So I think certain safeties will follow certain types of D coordinators because they want to get used and get paid. And then what happened was, is you had that shift in the market where, you know, the Landon Collins got the big deal. You know, Earl Thomas even got that large per year deal before whacking himself out of the league. Um, you have a couple safeties that were making big money and the rest of the group is like, hey, I want that money too. But there's not as many roles. I mean, look at Demarius Randall. Demarius Randall went from a guy some people wanted to pay $10 million a year where he's on a practice squad, I think. So it's, it's one of those things where the safety position evolves so fast based on every coordinator. These are the guys, you know, that you hope Joe Woods can identify a certain set of traits and you can get these guys later in the draft that can come in and play. And that's kind of what you're looking for because – while it's becoming a more important position, it's also becoming a disposable position in terms of the running backs. We talk about linebackers being the running backs of the defense. If you can get a guy that can cover and a guy that can tackle, you can play safety. So I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing that paradigm shift in terms of the safety market to where it's going. Yeah, and it's finding the right one and investing um, because it's an important piece of that DBs. But yeah, um, as we've seen, you can get the wrong guy. Um, who was the guy that went to the uh, was it Jets or Ra um, Jets or Rams, and then they they just couldn't wait to get rid of him. He was a uh, hotly tipped. I think he might have been a corner actually. Um, it was Lamarcus Joyner. He's now I think in Oakland. Yeah, but I, I think it was him. There was loads of hype. Got a big free agency. There was Tremaine there. Johnson. He was the, uh, the, the, he was a corner, I think. And then they tried him at safety and yeah, he got that big deal with the jets. And then, yeah, it was blouses after that. Yeah. So it's, it's choosing the right guy. The two big names is uh, Harris out of um, Vikings yeah. and then uh, just uh, Simmons. Justin so Simmons. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they go for one. They're, they're naturally more inclined, I think to go, um, Simmons just because he's a year younger but obviously Harris has the links to uh, uh, Stefanski being with the Vikings so uh, one of those two names don't be surprised if they uh, join the Browns and they look to just keep adding talent um, because hey, they know coverage is king um, they'll add pass rush but that's where their folks will be obviously if, if they're not quite in a Super Bowl window but if you want to go for an older name Richard Sherman's going to be back on the market um, going to be a mercenary wants to win so uh He's one of your options there. Patrick Peterson's potentially. Do you think uh, Sherman would shake hands with Baker when he came into the building? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's going to be names and there's going to be guys and Andrew Barry has got to get out there and figure out where him is. But I think the overarching theme for the offense is there's a lot of optimism. And that optimism was built because Andrew Barry, to Jack's point earlier, wanted to dedicate the resources to getting Baker the tools he needs to succeed. And that's why we see a lot of optimism. That's why you saw free agents like Jack Conklin. That's why you saw free agents like Austin Hooper. And on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of plugs, the Billings, the, you know, the Malcolm Smiths, you know, the, uh, the Carl Josephs. So the optimism is that we hope when Andrew Barry says, all right, guys, let's get this defense in order. You have Miles, you have Denzel, you hopefully have Greedy, you hopefully have um, Grant Delpit, you hopefully have this entire LSU defense with Jacob Phillips and these other guys. But at the end of the day, we need, we need more resources. The defensive outlook is going to be substantially different than the offensive outlook over the next few years. And I think we know that in seeing the positions. I think when you look at the Browns defense, Miles will wow you, Denzel will wow you, 
And then after that, you're just kind of praying somebody makes a play. And, you know, we're, we're at that peak where we have a couple veterans in the locker room, like OV and Malcolm Smith, Sendejo, where you hope that while they're not firing on all cylinders and at the prime of their game, that they're helping develop these younger guys because the Browns defense is going to look a lot different in two years. And I think Joe Woods knows it. I think Kevin Stefanski knows it. And most importantly, I think Andrew Barry knows it. Yeah, and, you, and you're looking at a draft where you've got a first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and Saints' third-round pick. It wouldn't surprise me if wide receiver, D-line, and DBs is where all four of those picks go, um, and there's nothing used anywhere else. Um, and in whichever combination of the group, but that's where their focus is going to be. There's going to be some slashes in free agency. The whole middle tier of that roster, if you want to go and get starting level, any uh, sort of not starting as in stars, as in your sort of solid, um, bit, a bit better than a rotational piece, but you're going to get players that are better than rotational pieces, able to sign a deal as a rotational piece. Um, this is the year to go do it. So if you want to overturn the entire middle of the roster, it's a fun time to do it in free agency because players that should have been getting four or five million deals, they're going to be scraping around for one and a half, maybe two um, over half price. It's only going to be a one-year deal, but you bring in four or five of them and then suddenly you're there going, hey, let's, uh, we'll keep the best ones and we'll move the rest on. Um, and that, that, why not make the most of it? So uh, don't be surprised if they really, really active in free agency. Desmond King's obviously one that I, I wanted the Browns to sign, but maybe um, Hugh Rosenhaus already decided, hey, this guy's going to be a free agent. Regardless, we're not going to sign a deal until we get there. Um, and then... The Browns went, hey, well, if we're not getting a deal, there's no point bringing them in 100%. You better keep them that sixth-round pick. And then we can wait until the offseason. Maybe we do get a deal done and he comes in as a free agent. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of moves this summer. I'm really, really looking forward to what they do, how they plan. But don't be surprised if you're suddenly having to learn a whole bunch of names on the defense. These guys that you're annoyed about, they're gone. Um, some of these guys that you're really happy with and you think are okay now, they're going to be on the bubble come camp time. So uh, there's going to be so much talent and uh, it's an exciting time. So uh, hopefully he, he gets a uh, Tack McKinley, um, at least puts in a claim. Um, if he didn't, it's probably something one of the uh, two Atlanta guys has told him like he and said, but uh, I'm excited. Uh, anything on the defense before we flip to the special, special teams? Yeah, no, the, um, the, yeah, I think we pretty much covered the defense. I do want to. I do want to run at the end here. We'll go over the the extra draft pick thing that the NFL instituted. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about the specials, right? Because the Browns' special teams has been far from special this year, and you know we have a lot of confidence in Mike Prefer in getting this thing turned around. And ironically enough, from the what I'll call offensive side of the specials, the punter, the kicker, and the long snapper, Browns are pretty good. I mean. That punt that Jamie Gillen had against the Raiders was a boomer. Into the wind like that, I don't think people realize how hard that is to do, like how, how tight you have to kick a spiral. So as a punter, if you leave that nose just a little bit open, it's going to flutter like a duck in the wind. I mean, it's just – it's not good. So the fact that he was able to kick a piss rocket, as I say, into that wind like 60-odd yards, that just shows you the incredible leg strength that that guy has. So Gillen, good. Parky on that cover against the Bengals and now we're having a little bit of a you can't kick a, a, a screwball in the wind but you know this the thing with Parkey he's always had the ability to hit a crossbar in a side in a post like no other but let's just hope he can be consistent but the Browns need to get somebody in here they need to start scouting their next kicker um, Charlie Hewitt's been as good as gold now these returners you know, last year we had uh, Rodney Bailey on and he talked about the specials making a play and being momentum changers. I don't think since that podcast, we've had a single one. I don't think we've had, when was the last time we had a return out over past the 50? Can you think of one? And not on an onside kick. Don't get me on that one, Paul. I, I can't think of any. It's, uh, it's, it's been poor. And half the time I'm just shouting at the TV because we're running out of the end zone on a kickoff. Donovan Peoples-Jones is fast, except when he's returning because he's not fast. So, yeah, they need, they need to get a returner in here. Um, from a punt returning standpoint, you know, your hope was to have JoJo Natson. Unfortunately, he tore his, you know, ACL. So they need to get somebody in here that can return with punts. Just get me 10 yards, get me a first down, and with a kickoff returner, can you – I know they're trying to take it out of the game. I know, I know, I know. But if you're going to run it, 
you got to get me something more. It's not happening there. So that's the special teams. The line should be 30 yards. And I know why do you say if you're returning a kickoff, you have to get to the 30 yards because if you can only get to the 25 yard line, take the knee and then don't risk a fumble because you're more likely to fumble it and give it away than you are to uh, score a touchdown. So you need to be getting at least the 30 and that's just not realistic in the modern NFL. Um, So I'd say the focus is to take that knee, let it go into the end zone. Um, but then, yeah, the special teams unit hasn't been good. I don't know if that was just a lack of preseason, but you thought by now they'd have been able to fix it. It's still a bit murky. Um, that's something I, I, I wouldn't mind, whether it's linebackers, um, just have two on the roster that they're, they're just full-time special teamers. Um, Bill Belichick always does it. There's like three, four guys that you would never imagine seeing out there on a snap, obviously. Tavaria Thomas, um, my guy, um, had to take snaps, but that was due to injuries earlier in the season. But those sort of players that you go, look, they're going to get a 70-plus PFF grade each year for special teams. Um, Could they start and play somewhere on the offense? Not a chance. Can they play on the defense? Not a chance. It doesn't bother me. You've got 53 spots on the roster. You may as well use them. And, uh, yeah, just three, maybe three special teamers who just do jobs. Um, and bring them in and really, really use and abuse them. So uh, they're dirt cheap anyway. Yeah. And hopefully if I think I know Mike Prefer, like I think I know him, this bye week was probably him locked in a bunker going over a lot of things. So optimism here. I think the Browns will have a much better second half of the season in terms of their special teams than they did the first half of the season in Prefer we trust. But Jack, the NFL came out with a rule. If you develop a minority coach that gets draft or that gets hired on another team, you could get a compensatory third round pick. Two, isn't it? I think I, I saw third day two round three. Do you think that helps? Do you think that hurts? What's your kind of take on that? That's from in terms of drafting and developing teams, a compensatory third round pick is big. I mean, that's a heck of a pick. It could be a top one hundred pick. Yeah. So it's initially floated as a reward for the teams that hired them and that's where I was really against it because it just sets the wrong narrative of when someone goes in for a job interview if two candidates are tied you're going oh we'll hire the guy that's going to get us extra picks that's not where you want to be because that's just incentivizing um, an unfair playing field and also that, that that person even if say Andrew Berry's perfect example got the job on merit you have people out there going and the the headline Tony Grossi, not from a uh, race angle, but is asking the fair question in the first interview uh, to the owner. Did you employ him just because you get the extra pick? That's just a ridiculous and horrible position to put everyone in. Whereas the issue of why is there X, Y, Z, it's all about the funnel. And the funnel was what they needed to fix. If you want to change anything, it's never actually the hiring process that's usually the problem it's usually the funnel in the 21st century. And if they want to incentivize teams to train, whether it's more women into the game, whether it's more minorities, um, whoever it is, incentivizing the people to do the development, I think is a fantastic idea. Personally, I don't really care for it either way of uh, incentivizing people from different backgrounds to do things. Um, quite often, it's it's more about the connections of who you know than any other um, Th- individual thing about a person um, that has a bearing on whether they get into something like the NFL um, in terms of the behind the scenes and coaching stuff. But if you're going to do it, incentivizing the funnel, 100% is the best place you could go. So uh, that's where I stand. What about you? You know, when I first read it, I, I generally tend to be a person. We know the NFL is the ultimate meritocracy. We know this. We know it doesn't matter what your, your background is for all the people out there about stigmas with quarterbacks now. And you look and you have Mahomes and Russell Wilson. So, you know, you'll have, you know, black quarterbacks now are tearing up the league. So the NFL, as much as we want to say, is like kind of the good old boys thing with coaching. I don't. I don't like attaching draft picks to do what you were saying. I'm in the incentivized part where if I'm a team and I hire them and I get a bonus for it. Well, who's to say now that if I'm a team that develops them and sorry, the dog is walking. So chop that part out. If I'm a team like say the Kansas city chiefs and I've got a minority, you know, 
head coaching candidate in Eric Bieniemy, And all of a sudden now another team, say the Raiders or the Broncos position comes open. They're not going to hire Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs. I shouldn't say they weren't. There's a possibility that they may consider into their hiring decision. Do we really want to give the Chiefs another third round pick? You know, so that you're going to come at it from both ways. I, I am fully... I think everybody, I mean, let's be honest, this is not a, a, a major, this is not even a majority pin. This is virtually every NFL plan wants the best person for the, the job in that seat, whether he's, you know, a white guy, a black guy, Hispanic guy, Asian guy, a female, like you do a poll right now in Cleveland, in the Cleveland Browns and say, if Callie Bronson as the head coach of the Browns won you Super Bowl, would you care? 100, 99.99999 with one Jamoke on Twitter who's just trying to be funny says absolutely. We don't, we don't care who is leading the team as long as the team is winning. That's what makes the NFL great. If Aaron, you know, if Aaron Rodgers was, you know, all these controversial things in terms of, you know, his identities and all that other stuff, people wouldn't care because he wins games. That's just the way the NFL is. And I just don't like the fact that you have to almost bribe people because to me, it's just kind of, if I'm a coach and I'm in fear, it's like, oh, so my merit isn't good enough, but me and a third round pick is, I don't know. I just think it sends the wrong message. Like we all know Eric Bieniemy is going to be a head coach in the NFL. We all know this. So why do I need to incentivize it with a third round pick? It just, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. If anything, maybe at the NFL banquet awards recognize, you know, people like Andrew Barry who are, you know, young and upcoming minority candidates, you know, and then all of a sudden just give them recognition in terms of promoting them within the league and saying, Hey, just so you know, there's this guy with the Browns. There's this guy with the Colts named Andrew Barry. He's a rock star. Like, you know, much like we have with Supreme Court justices, we have like kind of a ranking of people that are in line for the next time it opens up. There's no doubt that we could come up with something where somebody is focused on highlighting all of the minority coaching candidates that are coming up through the ranks. Because, you know, I actually talked years ago with somebody and they said, listen, we don't have an issue hiring whoever the best person is. But the problem is when you look at the coaching pool and it's 85% predominantly white and 15%, you know, minority, the chances are 85%, you know, likely that it's going to go to a, a non-minority. So as you're, to your point, as that funnel develops and as more minorities get into the coaching funnel, you're going to see a pretty much a natural articulation across the board. But yeah, I don't know. I just, if I was, if I was Eric Bieniemy, I would want to be hired based on the fact that I'm Eric Bieniemy and I have a really good offense in Kansas city and players really like me, not all of that. Oh, and by the way, I come with a third round pick. Yeah. You know, that, 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 it just, to me, sends the wrong message. And it's also something the NFL has done in terms of overseas. That's something they wanted to develop. We need more international players because we want to build our brand in other countries. We want to diversify from just American players playing in the league. So the two things they did about that is they created a uh, program for international players. So on each practice squad, you, they'll assign you an international player and then you just, you can keep them as an extra spot. And then they've gone and built a NFL development school in, in London because they want to do that. So it's certainly something they could do of going, look, we will pay for as the league salaries for, so it's paid as a proper salary, but basically a, a, uh, overqualified intern almost to go and add them to your front office. We'll add one to your coaching staff. Let's add 32, um, of each to every team, or you get either one extra coaching staff, one extra uh, GM each year. And then you giving those people the opportunity to jump into a role, I think is something you could certainly have done instead. Um, because that way you're breaking the opportunity. So not just minority, but women, whatever way you want to give people that extra opportunity, you can just go, look, you don't have to pay extra money because if you as an owner don't want to pay that straight out of your budget, the legal pay for it. And we'll just assign you, you can tell us each year, do you want the extra GM person? Do you want the extra coaching staff? And you can just have someone there. And I think that's certainly something they could have done instead. Um, and that suddenly puts 32 people or even 64, however many you want to do into the funnel every single year. And hey, that person might do a year and the team goes, actually, we don't want to employ them. And that's perfectly fine. Um, but it just gives people the chance to go in there and work because getting your foot in the door is the hardest thing you can do in terms of getting a job. And that, that's why I said it comes back to not the old boys club that you can imagine with like sitting there smoking cigars in some darkened room, but more just the connections and things. Because 
Um, if someone wants to get involved in the NFL, where, where do you go is always the biggest question. Um, it's oft, quite often you know someone or you know someone's dad and they put you in touch, etc. Um, it's the connections. And that comes through colleges and you might know the ex-head coach of your college knows someone. So just because you're a player and missed out, suddenly they put you in touch. And if you're giving all these opportunities to people and just throwing them and adding, I think that would be a great idea. Or even just a school, have an NFL school where they're teaching you how to coach better how to um be a gm how to sort of do a front office role and then you can put these people directly into front offices and really train them there is something they they also could have done yeah i think that's a great those are the type of ideas that i think need to you know raise up in league circles and how they're going to get that done because i think all of those things absolutely in the world nowadays it doesn't matter what you know it's who you know um, how many times do we hear stories about, oh, the college roommate's son of an assistant coach got, yeah, and that's how it works. You know, as somebody that's been down in Mobile and seen, you know, kind of how that networking and schmoozing works. Yeah, th- there's guys that go down there that know people, they hang out, they say, hey, man, I play DB here, I can do this. You know, any chance you got a, you know, a position here starts at the college ranks. So, Again, as time goes on, I think this becomes a non-issue. Um, I know right now it's, it's, it's polar in terms of how it's going to be, you know, covered in the sports media. But, you know, you just hope that as minority candidates come up, there's not a stigma or a label put on them because, you know, there was a, a caveat to their hiring. And I think that's kind of where it is. You know, you don't want to just assume that or assume some sort of a uh, an identity because of a, a league policy that was meant for good. Because, you know, as we know, the road to hell was paid with good intentions. So. And the, the one thing about Andrew Berry, please, can we never give him NFL executive of the year award? The reason for that is because <laughs> anyone that gets that award, you're fired in about two years. Awful. And it's just horrendous. There's like two Ryan good Pace. Come on down. Da, 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 da. Howie Rose. Fire him. Fire him. Team is like, tinkering on the edge um is like one of the only good people on other is eric da costa um and it's like literally everyone else that's got their job uh, everyone that a title deserves to be sacked within a year of getting it so it's like can we just start a campaign for andrew berry never to receive the nfl executive of the year award because that is bad news there you go nfl do not give it to him based on solely because we want our team to be good so but no good show um definitely covered a lot. These are these longer ones here in the bye week um, We do have the Texans coming up here, you know, in a few days. It's something we'll, we'll definitely put together for a prep. Probably have to get it done before Saturday. I got a few things going on. Um, but, you know, things are looking good for the Browns. I know that Chubb, Teller, and Hooper are back in practice. Most importantly, Teller, Hooper, then Chubb for our running game. Um, Houston can't stop the run, so there's a little preview. But, nope. If you have any questions, shoot it to us online. Jack, where, where can people find you, sir? So it's at Jack Duffin, J-A-C-K-D-U-F-F-I-N on Twitter. DMs are with, open for any of your random cap questions. Don't forget the blue check mark. If it doesn't say Jack Duffin with a blue check mark, it's not the real Jack Duffin. So I'm Ian19, Ian at Ian19 on Twitter. I can say this three times fast. Um, reach out if you have any questions. Let us know if we're crazy, stupid, idiots, whatever. Um, but yeah, defensively, I think we got a little bit longer to go. But ultimately, I think all of us can agree the Browns are heading in the right direction. But most importantly, the Browns. Exciting. Brown. Right.